Wrapping up our conversation today on Haggai. Question for you. Have you ever been in an earthquake? Raise your hand if you've been in a big one. A small one, small one. Anybody in a small one? Yeah, a little. It's kind of like, oh, that was fun. Have you ever been in, raise your hand if you've been in a big, big one. Yeah. It's not fun. Grew up in California. Been in a couple. <laughs> the 1989 World Series quake. Loma Prieta. I was playing soccer, high school soccer. I uh, was about to do a throw in. And I pick up the ball and I start running to throw the ball in and the whole world changes. And I stop and everybody stops and you can literally see waves in the ground. If you've never seen an earthquake, it is an absolute, it'll, it messes with you, your reality. And so just like an ocean or a lake, you see kind of rolling waves. That's what you would see with the earth. And, and you see these waves start to go, and then you see transformer after transformer just blowing up. So we knew it was a big one, but we finished playing soccer. <laughs> Couldn't, you know, and this was, you know, it's going to be weird for you guys, especially in the front row. No cell phones. So you, you don't know, like you have to check on loved ones, but in order to check on them, you have to call them on a landline or show up. So my, my grandmother lived with us. She had no idea there was an earthquake, but she shook a lot. She had to, <laughs> and she had no idea that there was an earthquake. And, but you know, you probably remember if you don't, you can Google it, but there, it was crazy. Bay Bridge, boom. You know, not the whole thing, but just parts of it. And one of the things that you know after an earthquake, you realize it's just like a, <laughs> it's just a feeling you have is, I'm small. I am insignificant. Um, there's no warning for earthquakes. There's no, nothing is safe in an earthquake. Nothing. Everything's affected. Everything feels it. You can't build something that doesn't feel it. What's interesting is Scripture uses the term for quake, earthquake, all the time. Like whenever God speaks, like these massive things, he's like, I will shake this. And it was very like, um, I mean, all throughout history, people who have experienced big quakes, especially in that region knew that nothing was safe, that the whole world would change, that nothing they built, nothing they had could, could um, not be affected by a quake. And the reason why I share that is because it's so humbling, and we're going to get into this idea of humility, because these four messages of Haggai, as we've been talking, come at a really wild time in history. And they're all dated. They all have exact dates in history. And as you know, if you've been a part of this, this is the group of people that have returned from exile. 
the remnant. There's only 50,000 of them that returned. A whole bunch of their friends and family stayed in Babylon. And this story is about, you know, Haggai is about rebuilding of the temple. Ezra was, uh, the story of Ezra, if you read that, is about the rebuilding of the people. Nehemiah is the story of the rebuilding of the walls in the city. And the book of Esther is about the people who stayed in Babylon. And so what we have is, in a sense, all these different versions and viewpoints of what's going on. But we've been concentrating on Haggai. And the first week we talked about this group of people who have been liberated, right? They've been liberated, they brought back, and they, and they had kind of one job. And they decided to not do that job. <laughs> they got really fearful, and they began to just concentrate on their own lives and not on what God was up to. So that first message is the call to um, not concentrate on your own paneled houses, but to concentrate on what God is up to in rebuilding the temple. The second week, we talked about discouragement and how the people who had seen the temple before and now were older and returned, uh, they were weeping because the, the version of the temple that was being rebuilt was woefully, was like a shack compared to what they had seen. So they were discouraged, right? And the people, the young people were so excited to be a part of rebuilding the temple that they went after it really, really uh, passionately, but because everybody else was discouraged, that discouragement and cynicism spread like a cancer, and everybody stopped working. The third week, last week, uh, we talked about this idea that they started getting in heads about the fact that they're rebuilding the temple and because they're doing something really special for God that God was going to, you know, for some, somehow or another, just touching what they were, uh, God was up to uh, made them special. But instead, they were actually, it was the opposite. And they were serving God. They were supposed to be serving God because they had been given everything. This whole idea of grace that just kind of drops into their lap, that God was going to continue to bless them no matter what. Well, this week, the word of the Lord comes to Haggai, this is in verse 20, a second time on the 24th day of the month. So it's the same day as the last message. So there was a message in September, there was a message in October, then there was a message in December. On December 18th, 522, there was a message for the people we talked about last week. But then, B.C., yes. Yeah, good catch. Yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. But this message comes straight through Haggai to Zerubbabel, to one guy. One dude. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. Tell Zerubbabel that everything that is seen, everything that is built, everything that's been created by human hands will, will be shaken. Now, this message given to one guy he is the leader of the people of Judah, but notice he's not their king, he's their governor. 
he should be king, but because the people were allowed to come back from Persia because of uh, the king of Persia giving them the ability to do so, the, the king of Persia is not going to be like, okay, now you're king again. He's like, no, you're the governor of this area. I'm king. But he's in line to be king. Now, of all of the discouragement that the people were feeling, I think Zerubbabel felt it the most. And I think he was more discouraged, deeply discouraged than the people had been. Because he was not only supposed to be king, but he had seen what his family had done to put them in exile in the first place. Zerubbabel's great-grandfather was Josiah. We'll talk about Josiah here in a second. His grandfather was Jehoiakim, one of the worst kings ever. And when he's looking at this heap of Jerusalem, this broken-down temple, this destruction, the fact that they were all in exile, it was because of his family. It was because of his grandfather. Now, I don't know if you have lineage like this, <laughs> where you can look back on your grandfather and go, because of him, all these people's lives are ruined. I don't know. I don't know if you have that kind of lineage. I hope not. But lineage is even more, I mean, we, we can only go, some of you could probably only go back to grandfather or great-grandparents but they had this powerful, deep connection to their lineage. And you were known for your lineage. And, and, and he's looking around, Zerubbabel, and he's seeing all this difficulty. He's like, how can anything significant happen now? In fact, you know what his name means? Zerubbabel, his name means offspring of Babylon. I mean, you're a king, you're in the line of kings in Jerusalem but you're born in Babylon, and your name is offspring of Babylon. <laughs> so jacked up. And this was a personal message for Zerubbabel. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. So something in the future was going to come. And scholars believe this is a way for, I mean, if, if you understood the ancient Near East, these are the most powerful things in the ancient Near East. Kings and their rulers, foreign kingdoms, chariots and their drivers. So the most impressive military power you've ever seen Zerubbabel is told that God will shake and overthrow. So, and it's for us, we, just, we don't get impressed by chariots and their drivers. We don't, that doesn't do anything for us. But for them, that would do something. They had no chariots and drivers. Israel, uh, Judah at the time, no, they had no army. They had no weapons. They didn't even have horses and, and chariots and all that kind of stuff. And, 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 and he's being told that this is what will happen that God will shake everything and this shaking will touch everything. What, 
What is God talking about? Well, it's interesting that, like I told you, that this whole idea of shaking happens throughout Scripture. Some of you, if you were paying attention during the Revelation series, there's conversation after conversation about this great shaking, this great quake, this great thing of God. In Hebrews, there's this, um, the, the book of Hebrews is written to a group of Jewish Christians who were thinking about taking the Christian part off and just going back to being Jewish. And they're doing that because they are being pressed. They are being pushed. They are actually experiencing persecution because they are following Jesus. But they came out of this Jewish tradition. And so if you, um, if, uh, some of you know this, but like in the Roman world, the Jewish people were allowed to freely practice Judaism with no strings attached. They were, they were allowed under this beautiful like way to like they kind of snuck in. They were kind of grandfather claused in by the Roman uh, government to worship Yahweh only. But then many of them began to follow this Jesus. And they still had their Jewish kind of roots and they still had their Jewish ways of doing it. But because they were worshiping this Roman, uh, this, this Roman-like um, executed, you know, individual that, that rose again, but they, they, they were like starting to be persecuted. And so the writer of Hebrews is writing a letter to remind them of what is this whole beautiful story is all kind of hinged together. And they were enticing, they were, they were being enticed to forsake Jesus and go back to Judaism because they would be safer or to go on to some other version of, of a belief called Gnosticism at the time. And so the author says, don't turn back. And we pick this up in verse 26 of chapter 12. It says, at that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This is just very God language for anything that is created, anything that it's not, it's not my world, will feel it. The words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken, the author says. That is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The idea here is God's kingdom can't be shaken. And all through the Gospels, Jesus talks about what the kingdom of God is like. And so what is happening here is things that can be shaken are not the kingdom of God. Only the kingdom will remain. Only the rule of, and reign of God will remain. And we learned in, when we talked about Revelation that this whole idea of evil, vanquishing of evil, that one day it will only be God's will that is done on earth as it is in heaven. Everything else will get shaken. And so we, let's go back to Haggai. It says this in, the verse, in verse 23. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty. 
Okay, real quick, when we get to, when we hear that phrase, some of you remember we talked about the day of the Lord back in our Revelation teaching. And the day of the Lord was different iterations of God's, in a sense, God's judgment. And this is a, a, a kind of a nod to that. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. What is a signet ring? A signet ring is a ring that only the king wears. It is uh, passed on from king to king to king. And in those days, what would happen is if a king made a decree or an order or sent correspondence, the king would uh, have it scribed out and then it would be, his ring would be a seal in the wax on the communication. And so it was a proof of the authority of the king. It was a big deal. And some scholars believe that Zerubbabel, because if you read Ezra, there's this moment in Ezra where they dedicate the temple that they're talking about in Haggai. And there's actually a moment where they're going through all the people who were there, and Zerubbabel is not listed. And some people believe that Zerubbabel saw the end of the building of the temple, but died before they dedicated the temple. Which has got some language. I mean, it's kind of like Moses and the promised land. It's got all this stuff to it that's pretty amazing. But Haggai says, On this day, I will make you like my signet ring, a sign of my authority. And so the question we have to ask is why is this so, why is this so personal to Zerubbabel? Why, what's going on here? And when you do a little bit of the homework, you recognize that there's something really beautiful happening here. And we're going to go back a little bit. We're going to go back and learn about his great-grandfather. In 2 Kings 23, there is king after king that has been doing what is evil in the eyes of the Lord. Meaning the nation of Israel was supposed to be like this signpost to who God was. And so over and over again, that didn't happen. And then along comes a guy named Josiah. And Josiah kind of starts off uh, wrong, but then he gets like this. Um, he, he begins to realize what they're not doing as a people. And he institutes some major reforms in Judah. He cuts down all the worship sites that are happening to other gods. He brings everybody back to the worship of Yahweh. He has two sons, but then he goes out to face Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, in a battle that happens, and he goes out to face this, this king of Egypt, and he is killed in battle. And so the king takes two, his two sons. Um, one of them he ships back to Egypt, which is the classic move by like powers that be. You send one of the offspring back, back to Egypt. So it's almost like, okay, we've got this one. 
uh, safe, and he leaves the other one to rule Jerusalem, which is Jehoiakim. Changes his name to Jehovah. So 2 Kings 23, it goes like this. Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, son of Josiah the king, uh, Josiah king in place of his father, Josiah, and changed Eliakim's name to Jehoiakim. But he took Jehoahaz and carried him off to Egypt, and there he died. Jehoiakim paid Pharaoh Necho the silver and gold he demanded. So this is tribute. Okay. In order to do so, he taxed the land and exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land according to their assessments. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother's name was Zebedah, daughter of her, and she was from Rumah. And he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his predecessors had done. So for there was like this little blip on the radar that Josiah comes into power. And there's these, these, these years, maybe months, that it's like, we're back, we're back with you, God, we're back with you. And, and so the question is, why is this so important? Well, there's been a line of kings that have started. And they started with David. It's something called the Davidic covenant. God makes a covenant with David, and it starts in, in 2 Samuel 7. And this is something that Zerubbabel knew about. This is something that the people knew about. Listen to this. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So God's promise to David is I'm going to establish your throne um, and forever. And, and there's just ongoing conversation that this throne will be part of what God will do with Messiah. Things get sideways. It doesn't take long for you to read. <laughs> Things go sideways. None worse than Jehoiakim, um, in, in many's mind, uh, Zerubbabel's grandfather. And Zerubbabel knows about the covenant. Zerubbabel is born in exile, offspring of Babylon. And the warning came from Jeremiah before exile. The warning came to Jehoiakim from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 22, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, even if you, Jehoiachin's son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. So there's, there's conversation here about the name of um, Josiah being changed as well in the, in, the, um, in the records of the Egyptians, Okay. So uh, Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet, listen to this, were a signet ring on my right hand, I would still pull you off. There's that word signet ring again. 
I would still pull you off. I will deliver you into the hands of those who want to kill you, those you fear. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon and the Babylonians, I will hurl you and the mother who gave you birth into another country where neither you, uh, neither of you was born and there you both will die. You will never come back to the land you long to return to. All of this happens. This is the return from all of that. And if you are young Zerubbabel, now older, you're kind of an older guy now, and you are the first one in a long line of kings to not be king. I, I, I don't know how you would feel about that. I think that that would be a huge, massive thing that he carried around in himself. The best you are ever going to be is governor. And you're governor in a broken down, backwatered, janky city with no wealth at all. You have no army, no chariots, no warriors at all. You're a small group of people with no wealth and virtually no hope. And so you can imagine why Haggai God uses this to go through Haggai to Zerubbabel. Because I bet you Zerubbabel was thinking, is God done? Is this it? Is that all there is left? Will there be no Messiah? The people of Israel had all, all these years had this anticipation. Year after year, king after king. Of Messiah. And Haggai speaks, you need to know that there's a day coming and he will shake the heavens and the earth and that he is not done with you. And it actually starts back up with you, Zerubbabel, even though you won't even see it. And then we fast forward ourselves to the most boring part of the New Testament that everybody skips over, and it's the first chapter in Matthew that nobody reads. And we're going to pick it up in verse 11. It's a genealogy. And Josiah, the father of Jes, Jes, yeah, that guy, and the brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon, after the exile to Babylon. Read that. Yeah? Shealtel, Shealtel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abba, and on and on and on. And verse 16, let's go to verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile uh, to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to Messiah. Now, 10 generations from Zerubbabel hearing this from Haggai. Sounds like his son became king somewhere along the line. What are, what, the, the, the conversation that we need to have is that God is still moving, and so often our reading of Scripture is page to page, and we forget that what happens between those pages is generations. And we read it flatly and we're like, oh, and then this happened. Oh, and then that. It's like Tuesday this happened and then Wednesday this. No. 
years, generations. And there's, there's this beautiful message of hope for a guy who thought it was, all, it, was, it was all but gone. It was all but over. And so for us, when we read Haggai, which is not often, we understand a few things that we have similarities with the people. We were once in captivity. The gospel tells us that we were a slave, not necessarily to Babylon, but we were a slave to the powers of this world, to the own uh, sin in our family, the own brokenness in our own hearts, that we've been enslaved to that, that we are set free, that we've been broken out of the power of captivity, that, that our days matter, that there's ongoing healing available for every single one of us. And that we would, and if we were to prioritize that together, something beautiful could happen. That's why we've been talking about this. We made this claim at the beginning of the year that we wanted to practice community together. That we wanted to uh, find a way to intentionally reorient our lives around the fact that God wanted to do something beautiful in us and through us. Now, for some of us, that's really hard to believe. You're like, I've heard that before. I've been a part of churches before. I've, I've seen things that have just been really hurtful and damaging and hurt me and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not telling you that that's not going to happen to you again. But I am telling you that God is still moving. That it still got messy after Zerubbabel. <laughs> and it still is messy today. But we call the gospel the good news because it is beautiful news. And the other thing that you got to remember and that I have to remember is, I, I hate to break it to you, but your life is very small. Now, you could take that as kind of an offense, like, wait a second. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm kind of a big deal, right? You might think uh, your life is very small. And we have a culture that tells us not to think that way. We have uh, social media uh, algorithms that try to tell us differently. You and I, our lives are very small. And actually, you know what? That's great news. That should be very good, humbling, beautiful news. And it's almost like when you feel like when you've been in an earthquake, like, okay, I'm small. <laughs> it's a humbling reminder. But here's the beautiful thing. God asks us for our small to be a part of what he's doing that's big. And, and the call for all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus is to participate in our small because of what he's doing in his kingdom that will never be shaken. And so what I want to do is something a little different today. So if you've just been kind of uh, chilling, hanging out, um, I, I got this microphone. And what I want to do is I want to hear from you. Not great pa sermon, Pastor. Um, I hate that. It's okay if you say it. I'm just, I, that's not why I do this is what I mean. I want to hear from you in your life. Do you, and there's some discussion questions that we've thrown up on the, on the web. Well, I don't know if they're on the screen. They might be on the screen. They might not be. It's okay if they're not. They are. Um, I don't know why it starts with two, but that's, 
It's the, the first one's like a choose-your-own-adventure question. <laughs> um, but the, go to the fourth one, I guess. Fourth list of... There's another one? Okay. <laughs> that sounds good. Question three, three. Okay. <laughs> These are just me riffing some questions out to, to us. Um, have you ever felt like it seemed like God was done? Have you ever felt in your life, like maybe you didn't say it out loud, but you're like, you know, I had these experiences with God in, in this stage of my life, but I feel like God has largely been inactive in my life. That there was no way that maybe you thought there was no way that God was really going to do anything of substance again in you anymore. Or that God can no longer use a group of people again. How do you see that experience in light of this passage from Haggai? And I, here's the thing. Uh, I'm going to throw out these questions, but this isn't for you to like just go into your deep, dark world, and that you can if you'd like. It would be actually very encouraging for people, but how have you been encouraged in the midst of some of that shaking in your own life? How has God shown himself to you? How has God's promises come back to you? And um, we've got some time. Oh, you'd be the walk around guy? That's a good way to get out of answering questions, everybody. <laughs> if you didn't... <laughs> right on, Curtis. Anybody like to share anything? Encouraging, question... If you have a question about the passage, if you have anything, like, let's... This is just chat time. And I'm fine with silence. Ben taught me that. Brandon Miller. It's funny you mentioned this. I actually got a text last night. I won't say anything who anything you may meet him one day um mm -hmm. he's like you know man i'm going through some things and it really sucks right now and i feel mm -hmm. like everything i'm doing is like a road to nowhere mm -hmm. and uh you know i really thought about committing suicide and everything like i won't do it but you know i'm just saying and i can't talk to nobody i don't have friends and this and that and the third blah 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 mm -hmm. and uh we had just done ash wednesday mm -hmm. so i told him and he sent me some cool stuff i'll probably send you at some point but, uh, and I told him, I was like, I get it. Because I've always, I think he's done with me every other day. <laughs> and I told him like I thought it. I said, man, I probably thought that two or three times last week. Mm. But, you know, I just came from Ash Wednesday and I realized I'm already dead. Mm. And the only thing I have is my life to offer. Mm. So... You've got gifts and talents. Mm -hmm. I've got gifts and talents. And everybody's got them. And, you know, you don't really know what you're going to do with them. And I, and I just told him, I was like, you got gifts. You've got things that need to be done mm -hmm. that you're meant to pay forward. And it'd be a travesty to give that up. Mm -hmm. And it's the same conversation I have with myself a lot. Beautiful. <laughs> so I get it. Brandon, thank you.
Brooke. Faster, Curtis, faster. Um, all growing up, I just thought I was going to be, uh, quote unquote, working in ministry. Mm -hmm. And I did that at 19 for four years. And it was really intense and it was very impactful and it was worldwide. And in 2020, I left and I went into this like good two, three years of just feeling useless, <laughs> kind of. And doing day to day things and the mundane. And um, I had a few moments where I was like, okay, God, was that like my peak of influence and peak of you using me? And if I'm being honest, I'm still wrestling with that and wrestling with what is work theology or what is all those things. And um, the other night I was over at the Mullikins and we were sharing about what we wanted to be when we grew up when we were little. And I was like, oh, I wanted to be a pastor and I wanted to be an author and was using this language of like, you know, and maybe one day I'll still do it. And Trey was sitting next to me and Trey goes, well, you're my pastor. Mm. Like you're pastoring us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it almost ruined me. I was sitting there and I was like, <laughs> you should need to shut up now. <laughs> um, but I had to like, I went home and I sat back with that and I was like, okay, I'm, you know, saying that I'm not being used in the same way. And yet mm. I'm doing even deeper things than I was doing when it was quote unquote worldwide or a yeah. title, um, or my mm -hmm. job. Um, and so I'm still wrestling with it, but it's been really beautiful to like slow down and to try to, yeah, define what, what does all of that actually look like for me? And what does God using me mean? Mm -hmm. And is it just the title and is it just like the showiness of it? Or is it the humble moments and the, like the small moments like that? Yeah. Good work. When I, uh, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a fire truck. <laughs> so, <laughs> nailed it. Anybody else want to share? This is good to share. It's good to share. Sadie? Oh, you, you bring that little Felix up here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I feel like maybe I haven't had a time where I've like have questioned like, oh, God's done with me. Hmm. But I feel like more so I've questioned God and being like, so are you done yet with me? Like, hmm. and I feel like I have a strange knack for destroying many good things in my life and hmm. surely being like, this is it. This has to be it, hmm. you know? And... He just is relentless and mm. somehow keeps knocking on my door and I'm like, no, I locked you out a long time ago, <laughs> you know, but mm. uh, I feel like that applies to this question, but in mm -hmm. kind of like a weird other roundabout yeah. way. Yep. Absolutely. I think as you were talking and mentioned that there's generations between the pages, mm -hmm. that it's sometimes hard for our impatient selves to really understand God's patience with yeah. us. So I think that that kind of hit me hard that like we want change now. We want things to happen today. And yet in God's patience, there's a lot of grace mm -hmm. for us. Yep. Corporately. Yeah. Everything we have in our culture right now points to like quick solutions. Yeah. 
Any other sharing today? We haven't heard from the left section. Yeah, there's this section. That's okay. Not to put pressure on you guys, but you're not showing up over there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Ah, <laughs> oh, congregational shame sharing. <laughs> We didn't mean to. No, don't worry. <laughs> it wasn't peer pressure. It wasn't peer pressure. Um, I just uh, wanted to say, I started coming here when you started Haggai, and I thought that was um, perfect timing <laughs> because I was at a place in my life where I was feeling super discouraged, and mm -hmm. I didn't want to start um, with my life <laughs> at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and so just like following and going through this, it's just mind-blowing to me mm. to think how people were struggling with the exact same thing that I'm struggling with today, yeah, years ago. Long it's time ago. insane. And yeah. I um, found that so encouraging. It is so cool to know that we kind of keep, <laughs> we kind of like recycle. <laughs> and it kind of mm. showed the beauty of being a human mm -hmm. and the struggles that we go through mm -hmm. um, and how <laughs> insanely patient God is mm -hmm. and how much love he has for us because um, we're kind of going through the same thing always, yeah. but he just, he wants us to be a part of our lives mm -hmm. and he has this amazing big picture and um, yeah, he wants mm -hmm. us to be a part of that even though we we struggle with the same thing. And so it's really encouraging to <laughs> see that other people are struggling because yeah. there's just something about, mm -hmm. you know, when you are struggling, you feel like you're the only you're one. You're alone. Yeah, yeah, you're all alone. Yeah. Um, so this was uh, just amazing to see Good. and to, yeah, go on this journey. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That, that, I couldn't say that better. You... You hit on, I think, the, the most important thing. A lot of times when we read scripture, we, we are separated from it. We don't allow ourselves to sit into, what were they feeling? What were they going through? Have I ever done that? Um, and then we are human. And I think sometimes when we gather as a church, when we look, we look around and we go, well, they, they seem like they've got a great life and things are going fine. I'm not going to burden them with my life, my discouragement, my frustration, my confusion, my doubt, my fears. But that's what this is. That's what it's supposed to be. That's why we are doing some sharing today. So that you can remember that you are not alone, that there are people around you with, with hurts and fears and worries and and that God is trying to do something in us as we practice community together. So thank you, Curtis, for being our mic guy. Um, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to close, and we're going to stand together in a second, and we're going to actually recite the Lord's Prayer together. And the beautiful thing about doing this in community is uh, that we get to, uh, in a sense, um, as we pray this prayer, put ourselves in a position that that we are a part of, of making this prayer happen together. Um, and so would you stand with me? And, and whatever version you remember, if you don't know the Lord's Prayer, that's okay. Um, 
Whatever version you grew up with, whether it's the debtors or the trespassers, it's okay. But let's just, let's just state this together as, in a sense, a benediction for us as a church. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us We forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, go in peace. Amen.